Well, I believe it was a radical self-expression. I just called a friend one day and said, let's burn a man on the beach. Let's burn a man on the beach. Let's burn a man on the beach. Hello, hello. This is Evan Shulman. And Steve Robbins. And this is Burning Man. Burning Man, Man according, according to, to us. us. <laughs> but we're not in sync because we're far away from each other. I know, just like our very, very first episode so many moons ago. Now, why are we so far away from each other, despite the fact that we actually should be on the playa now partying? What in the world has happened since our last episode? Uh, that's exactly right. We are recording this in August. It's been many months since uh, we uh, published our last episode. I think our last episode was actually us on the playa doing our art walk last August, so a year ago. Um, yeah, what for anyone who's listening, what, what could it have been? Oh my gosh, what's the charade that we're all playing right now? <laughs> and of course, p- people listening to this 10 years from now are going to be like, we don't know. It's COVID! Yay! And by yay, I mean boo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, uh, the global pandemic that uh, most everyone... Uh, even 10 years from now, hopefully we'll we'll still be around to to read about and learn from um, as we are in the thick of it right now. And yeah, I think one of the uh, last episodes I did at the end, I was like, oh, you know, we're in a lockdown right now. Who knows if Burning Man will be canceled? And Stever, what was the result of that one? <sighs> Burning Man has in fact been canceled, which yes. as, as sad as I am, I mean, right, it, it's the right, <laughs> it's probably the right thing to do because... It's uh, uh, it's quite likely that sticking eighty thousand people on a playa and saying please maintain social distancing would be really really easy up until that moment where it wouldn't be. Yeah, and under the uh, principle of civic responsibility, it felt like the very uh, right and appropriate call to make. I know a lot of people were uh, bummed out about it. You know, you were you were telling me a little bit about your Burning Man depression and. Um, I, I was also saddened, but understood it was the right thing, obviously. And, um, I, I do have some stories about, you know, feeling the, the burner vibe though in my, in my own neighborhood as a result of the lockdown. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do what, what do you want to go first with? Should we, should we tell them the, the burning man depression side or the burning man vibe in spite of the, the lockdown side? Oh, let's start with the depressing part and then we'll like end on a high note. Okay. That's fair. So so, Steve, you were saying uh, you had some Burning Man depression these last uh, several months. Yeah, and it's funny, right? Because because both of us have not been going for that long. But I've come to realize, especially not having it happen this year, that it really has become, uh, for me, a big piece of it. And I, I didn't realize this. I mean, I realized it after the, after my second or third burn. A big piece of Burning Man for me is the ability to get away from normal life. And one of the most important parts of that for me is getting away from the endless emphasis on material success and commodification and money and bills. Like like so much of my daily life is tied up with money, 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 thinking about money, thinking, you know, and I'm just like, please, I need a break. And Burning Man is what gives me that break. And so 
I've been really kind of feeling it because even though I had been perfectly fine for all of my life before going to Burning Man, now that I've experienced having that time where I could just get into a completely different mindset, it's really been kind of transformational and I miss it a lot. I'm kind of like, oh, I need my, I need my fix. Yeah, totally. And, and I think also just within the context of, uh, you know, how much the pandemic and the economic situation the pandemic's caused is making people even more aware of, you know, financial considerations and financial constraints and, you know, the, whether it's Burning Man or for someone else, you know, some other, uh, experience or environment that just is a way to kind of escape and be with a community that is, you know, uh, healing and conducive. Um, I think a lot of people are, are wanting kind of that, that same experience, uh, whether, whether they would be going to the burn or not. So definitely hear you on that one. Absolutely. So, um, so, so, okay. So the sad part for everyone listening is boo, his burning man was canceled. Um, only it wasn't quite. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so I'm at least grappling with burning, burning depression. Um, but Erin, you said that, that for you, you've actually been feeling the burning man vibe in your neighborhood. Tell me how, because that way I can maybe, maybe rescue my mood. Yeah, so so I'm out in uh, Southern California on uh, traditionally Kumeyaay Kumeye lands, uh, now now known as San Diego. And uh, you know, during the lockdown, everyone's basically staying at home. And so during the weekdays, most people are at home, parked. And so the neighborhood had a different energy. And um, I usually do like a, a daily walk with my dog. Um, and the first thing that kind of triggered this vibe was I was just doing a walk around. Um, and one of my neighbors who was at home during the week, uh, either because they couldn't go into work or they were laid off from work, um, was, was cooking some food and it smelled delicious. They were cooking corn. This was back, uh, I guess in late April, early May. So kind of that spring barbecue vibe and it smelled delicious. And usually I'm an introvert. I rarely see my neighbors. Um, if I do, you know, I try to be friendly, but this time, you know, everyone's going through the, the lockdown together. I'm outside walking. It smells delicious. So I simply say, hey, wow, that smells amazing. And almost immediately, uh, the neighbor says, yeah, it, it, it does. Like, would you like some? And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, why wouldn't, I, why wouldn't I offer you some? And, you know, I had a little bit of the hesitation. This is like early lockdown. Like, you know, what does COVID do? How does it get transmitted? You know, is this safe? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, I'll, uh, I'll pick it up with these tongs that have been on the grill um, you know, I haven't touched it at all. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll throw some, um, uh, you know, spices on it from a distance, but I won't, I won't touch it at all. And then you can just have, it. and I was like, wow, that's, that's really, you know, generous. I really appreciate it. That's really nice. And it tasted delicious, Stever. But like right after that, I had this like aha moment of like, whoa, that's like being on the playa and just walking by someone else's camp and saying, hey, I like what you're doing. That seems cool. Or that smells good. And they're like, yeah, you're cool. Why don't you have some? Um, and so it just almost immediately brought me back. And that's when I realized that that's one of those ways how we can kind of bring the culture and ethos of what happens on the playa back to our own neighborhoods just by, for me, getting a little bit out of my introvert shell and just, you know, extending a friendly hay and getting that reciprocated um, with a gift of some delicious corn. And, and that's when I was like, whoa, like if this, if this lockdown continues and if Burning Man stays canceled, maybe we can get the regional networks to like organize some type of... Uh, you know, walking from a safe distance, like neighborhood art walk, and people can bring out the things they've been working on during quarantine. Big vision didn't happen. But luckily, to your point, uh, Burning Man wasn't exactly canceled. It was just moved um, 
virtually. And the, and the only other two things I'd say about kind of the, the Burning Man vibe is my wife and I have been uh, part of this other uh, community called Buy Nothing. If you go to buynothingproject.org, it's basically a gift economy within your community. And we've been really enjoying seeing what people have, you know, been posting. And um, there's a really kind of shared sense of community and, and kind of gifting things within your local, your local area, your local camp. And also right after the lockdown happened, uh, that group kind of get, getting together and putting on some online spreadsheets to create some mutual aid networks for the community to make sure, you know, people are able to knock on doors of maybe some elderly neighbors or, you know, help get groceries for those that are at higher risk. And so for me, that really kind of gave me the vibe of the communal participatory gifting aspect of the burn. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because, um, uh, of course, the one of the things about Burning Man that really is universal is wandering around and people doing nice things uh, and, and people doing stuff and just inviting you to come share them. And the... The relationship, I guess, to the pandemic is that that you experience being on the receiving end of that. But there's no reason that those of us who want to create a burning experience, something of a burner experience, couldn't create that on the giving end. And like you know, I don't know, bake bake some brownies, and and you know, go take them around and leave them <laughs> leave them with a fishing pole or something. You know, lower them onto people's porches. But doing things that are that are genuinely like just just purely gifting without expectation of return kinds of things. And we totally. can do that. We can do that wherever we are. That doesn't require, it can be done from six feet away and it doesn't actually require going to Burning Man. And it's always, it's always possible. And it's just interesting how it takes things like a global pandemic and a slowdown and something to shift our automatic behaviors of getting in the car, going to work, doing this, engaging with, you know, getting outside of the connecting with neighbors. Like it's always possible, but it takes a pandemic for someone to, this is another thing that happened in the neighborhood, you know, set out a thing of chalk and with a little message saying, hey, write whatever you want here. And then just going around the neighborhood and seeing people decorate sidewalks. Like that didn't happen last summer, but it happened this summer. And um, yeah, it's just been really special for that little that little change to your daily habit or, or routine. Uh, that makes you either think outside the box or, you know, re-engage with, uh, with the, the life and, and vitality around you. Absolutely. So, you know, speaking of engaging with the life around you, one of the other things that we've seen since the last time we recorded an episode was really the whole civil rights protests, uh, racial equality, the George Floyd. Uh, in fact, I believe there are still people marching in the streets, even though it's, it's uh, several months later at this point. Yeah. And it's been really interesting, right? Because a lot of what's characterized those protests have been a tremendous amount of police violence, also some looting and violence from, I mean, depending upon which side of the political spectrum you're on, maybe it's the rioters themselves that have been doing things. Maybe it is embedded groups that are specifically trying to create problems. But regardless, there is a, there is a whole liberation movement currently going on, which has been going on for a few hundred years. But but it's really kind of taking the fore right now. And it's, it brings to mind, I think, the whole idea of, of really just, just inclusion and, and radical inclusion. You know, there, people are saying, we want to be part of the system. We want to be part of, of being protected by the police instead of being victimized by them. We want to be part of the economic engine that lifts people up. And 
you know, certainly one of the things that I love about Burning Man is that ethos. Although, as I think we may have discussed, uh, even even if that is the ethos, the actual crowd who shows up to Burning Man by virtue of a number of systemic issues, not the least mm-hmm. of which is the ability to get time off, the desire to go in this harsh camping environment and the money involved in doing it, um, it isn't actually a super, a super pra- practically speaking, it's not a super diverse crowd. Yep. Yeah, that was our uh, episode around... Radical Inclusion, where we spoke with Random from Census Camp and kind of learned a little right. bit more about the the demographic makeup and some of the issues that might uh, create the demographics that we see. Well, at the same time, um, I think in the show notes for that episode, you know, there is a diversity, equity, and inclusion um, uh, program within within the the Burning Man project, and they have accelerated that obviously as a result of the the summer protests, but. Um, there's a lot of great videos from uh, people of color, BIPOC community members and burners talking about what the burn means to them, but also obviously rightly calling out still a lot of the um, the obstacles in the way and, and you know, how we can even make it more radically inclusive. So, um, okay. So, so here we are, um, uh, you know, with, with, with Black Rock City, wanting to be radically inclusive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and one of the hallmarks of the whole BLM movement and involving the protests, and I don't want to conflate the two because Black Lives Matter is is not necessarily the same as the protests. It's just the protests have featured Black Lives Matter uh, uh, as, a, uh, as an organizing group and as a theme. Um, but one of the other things has been police brutality has been yeah. a big piece. And right now there's real calls for defunding the police. And one of the things that is meant by defunding, and I will confess, I did not know this. When I first heard people say, oh, we have to defund the police, I'm thinking, what? Like, have not have police? That doesn't seem like that doesn't seem like a sensible solution. You actually do need some form of of law enforcement somewhere in the system. And then I heard what defunding actually means. Horrible word, pretty reasonable concept. And the concept being being the police are called to deal with lots and lots and lots of different things, uh, some of which require a for potentially require a forceful response and dealing with criminals around force. But a lot of things that the police are called to do don't necessarily require force. But currently, because the police are the ones who are called, they do bring the possibility of force into situations where where things would be best if that weren't the case. Um, and you know. Black Rock City doesn't have police. Yep. But does that mean it has no structure and no norms of behavior? That's a leading question. Well, and I I guess it doesn't have no police because we do have, you know, I think uh, Burners use the acronym LEOs, right? Law enforcement officers because it's it's kind of the overlap of the local county sheriff department, but also it's on... uh, uh, Bureau of Land Management land. So there's Bureau of Land Management um, agents or rangers on there. So there are publicly, you know, funded and publicly entrusted uh, officers present, but it's radically different from any other city where, you know, that's not the main uh, funding source. That's not the main, um, or in other words, like Black Rock City isn't like, you know, contributing whatever X percentage of its budget to those uh, to those institutions. And there's also a, a, a more granular distribution of 
services and volunteers to provide for other uh, sources of conflict or tension or dis-ease within the community, like people who have drank too much or have used too many substances or, um, you know, are, are getting into a tiff with their, their campmates or whatnot. So, so, so you're referring yeah. to things like Zendo? Yeah, Zendo. So um, someone in my camp two years ago, uh, it was his first burn, but he volunteered for Zendo. Um, and as I understand it, um, and we'll, we'll put this in the show notes, but basically it's kind of like a, a place for trained volunteers to uh, kind of hold space and, you know, observe someone who's having what they call a, I believe, you know, a rough emotional time as kind of a catch-all for people who are maybe um, on substances perhaps, but doesn't have to be substances. Maybe they're just dehydrated or maybe they, you know, had a rough um, relationship experience that happened on Ply or something like that. And uh, they just kind of hold space, monitor them, and, you know, they have access to, I guess, EMTs and medics who are also, you know, on Playa in case, uh, you know, the health goes really south. But the idea being that it's not someone with a gun approaching someone who's, uh, you know, um, what's the term that, that you know, police police departments use, like, deadly force (laughs) well the the police use it but you know they'll they'll call an individual um like hysterically deranged or something right like i think that's what they were trying to say george floyd was right like oh he was on something and they they use some type of term to justify like oh this person's not sober necessarily so therefore we can go in with force and that can turn into deadly force um but that's like one example, right? Like, oh, let's meet that not with with force and deadly force. Let's meet that with compassion and uh, medics on hand to like, you know, uh, respond to this. Um, or there's something which you are heavily involved with, Steber, which is the Ranger program. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, so Rangers are basically, they don't have formal authority, but they are trained in mediation and de-escalation. They are also essentially walking information booths. Interestingly, I am a ranger at my regional burn. I am not a ranger in Black Rock City. In Black Rock City, I go um, as more of a participant at the moment rather than a volunteer. But rangers... But rangers you've, stayed are pretty, with, you've stayed with the ranger camp, right? Or like you know a lot of rangers oh, at BRC. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know lots of rangers, I, and, I, and I do camp at the ranger camp. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, there's a story behind that that I won't tell right now. Um, <laughs> but basically, um, I do know a lot of rangers and, you know, they're just, they're just regular participants who decide they want to be rangers. They take training in things like mediation. They then, uh, they then actually have to go through a, a, they go through a, I think it's like an 11 hour initial shift. And it's a, it's a heck of a, uh, it's a heck of a, um, um, uh, you know, of a commitment to to do initially, and then they can sign up for how much they do or don't want to range. But you know, a lot of people, I think, they they come as a participant for a few years, and then at some point, they say, you know, I want to be part of making this happen more so than just doing art. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to actually be part of the of the organization of the city and making the city function. And that's when people become rangers, um, or that's one of the times that people become rangers. And it's really a neat idea, and we don't really have the equivalent here in regular life. Of course, it also ties in with the radical, um, not radical, uh, <laughs> what is it? Uh, yes, radical self-reliance and community effort and civic responsibility, mm-hmm. right? Those three principles kind of combine at Burning Man. So you do have incentive just culturally to find a problem to disagreements between each other. 
you yeah. write the, the the idea is not just oh we're having a problem you know let's rely on some external person to come in and make it all better it's part of the culture here is we have to find a way to work this out now of course that doesn't always happen and that is when rangers are particularly useful as mediate excuse me as mediators but it you know it again it's some of it is really an attitudinal thing that if you if you just if you have someone who's being a jerk and you're in a culture where the culture is, hey, you know, you you are responsible for the way you act. You're responsible for creating your own experience here, and the experience you're creating, you know, isn't working for those around you. Um, uh, having you know, having wandering mediators is not a bad idea, and creating a culture in which the first responsibility, because what what the ranger is going to tell you probably to start with is they're going to go, hey, this isn't working. Here we are. You you know you you no one is going to come in and tell you right or wrong. What are you going to do to resolve this conflict that you are in the middle of? And it really is in many ways just putting the radical responsibility right back on, excuse me, right back on on whatever the conflict is that's happening. Mm. Do they do any form of like in the mediation? Like you know, one of the things that's that for my own education coming out of um, the protests and trying to learn more is the concept of transformative justice, which is kind of an idea around, you know, both both parties um, kind of come to a table and it's really a community effort to get to understand the harm that was caused and like what what remedies there might be to addressing that harm. But it's it's more about community health and community healing versus, you know, immediately uh, going to a punitive form of, oh, this is what's going to resolve the the transgression or emotional uh, uh conflict that's occurred like is there any aspect to that to mediation or do you have examples of things you've seen as a ranger at your regional burn that have kind of you know evidenced this you know i would actually i had I'd have to say no because with our regional burn we uh, i have at least the things i've been involved with have been much less about conflicts between participants and much more about uh, either general information or you know somebody one of the things i've seen a lot of there is a camp in my uh, uh, at Firefly called "Don't F Up," and I will let you fill in what the F might stand for. <laughs> it's called "Don't F Up," and it's essentially a ridiculously dangerous obstacle course. So there will be things like two by fours balanced on the edge, and you're supposed to walk on those, you know, on your feet. You're supposed to kind of balance and walk, and then jump onto a swing that's suspended from a tree, and then swing up and and there's a rope ladder that that you might grab and start climbing. But essentially, it's all stuff that's really dangerous. And mm-hmm. I, as a ranger, I have seen multiple sprains and things like that. And so I've helped get people to first aid. And, uh, uh, you know, But I've also been in a situation where people came wanting first aid. And if it was something like, oh, look, a mosquito bite, or you know, I hurt myself on my tent, the response is, well, go back and put the antiseptic that you brought with your first aid kit on your boo boo, mm. like you know, we're we're this is this is this is not just about us being here to fix your problems. This is also about you, you know, you showing up prepared. And if you don't show up prepared, you can't expect other people to compensate for it. Especially because you know, as with Burning Man, there is plenty of information about what you should bring. You know, back when Burning Man was young, you, there wasn't. You'd have to you'd have to kind of like talk to people and figure it out or whatever. But at this point, if you're going to go to Burning Man, 
there's stuff on the website that says, look, here's the stuff you should bring. It's no mystery. Yeah. So if you don't bring it, frankly, you only have yourself to blame. And the very first thing your ticket says is, I accept that I might die if I go here. So, you know, I think people think that's like just some sort of funny, goofy thing. And it's not. Like, you know, if you show up unprepared and you wander out to the playa and decide to go to sleep for the night and you go to sleep and maybe you have done some substances that keep you asleep throughout the morning under, you know, in 99 degree heat with 0% humidity and the sun beating down, you could die from exposure. It could simply happen. Yeah. And, you know, um, it's it's worth taking that kind of thing seriously, I guess, yeah. uh, and showing up prepared. But rangers rangers can at least help a little bit in the form of of directing you to what resources are there, and helping you access the resources. Like a lot of times, what they'll do is send people back to their camp. You know, yeah. they'll say, you know, do you have a camp? And you know, do do your campmates maybe have have a first aid kit or something that can help you or whatever? And that's one of the ways that rangers deal with things. They do not have, like I said, they don't have formal authority. So, you know, they can't tell someone what to do. All they can do is try to raise the conversation and get people to to mediate with each other and or take responsibility for their own behavior. Yeah. And I think, you know, Steve and I wanted to talk about this in the context of the protests and racial equality and, you know, uh, asking for basic civil rights. And this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years, but you know, at least for me over the summer, the back-to-back, you know, learning about Ahmaud Arbery, learning about Breonna Taylor, learning about even Christian Cooper being called in, um, had the cops called on him in New York. And then, uh, and then of course, George Floyd. Um, you know, those are very real circumstances in very real cities with, you know, their own vast histories um, within a country with its own vast histories of oppression um, across racial lines. But we wanted to bring this up because when we hear, and again, like I had the same kind of knee jerk, like, whoa, defunding the police, like what's that mean? And I think it's because we haven't really seen an example of that perhaps necessarily. And for me, just thinking about how BlackRock City is a city, it's 70,000 people. And as far as I know, there's no jail there. There are some law enforcement officers, but again, it's not just law enforcement in this city. It's volunteers of Zendo. It's volunteer rangers. And so it's a living example of a way to uh, diversify in terms of the types of public services or volunteer services that are made available for the citizens of this city um, to address the multiple kinds of situations that might arise. And I should also say, of course, that, again, Black Rock City is not a uh, statistically uh, proportional city relative to, you know, other large cities out there, um, being predominantly white, being, uh, predominantly, uh, well-educated and, um, well-resourced and, uh, you know, able to afford going there does create a different dynamic. Um, however, even still, it's an example of a city of 70,000 people with a smaller quote unquote police presence, no jail and, uh, different ways of servicing, emotional or physical tensions that might arise within the community. Right. And remember also, you know, Black Rock City, there, there is the, there's sort of radical participation and radical self-reliance. And the atmosphere there is one of, I think, greater acceptance of greater variability of behavior too. So there are things that might cause clashes in the daily 
you know, in, in the real world that may not cause them at Burning Man. Like, you know, hey, you know, dude, why are you wearing a dress? Well, you know what? Half the dudes at Burning Man wear dresses. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I think that's a great point. And I think that touches on, you know, kind of, again, we had these real world uh, killings and deaths um, that, that happen every day. And these are the ones we only hear about or that get amplified because now we have media to show it. But the larger story is, at least, you know, from my learning over the summer is, what is, what is liberation from oppression really? And what is a liberatory environment? And to your point, yeah, like in the default world, probably a lot more people would either raise an eyebrow or get phys- physical that a guy is wearing a dress. But a liberatory environment perhaps should be a place where you can wear whatever the hell you want as long as it's not physically violent or hurting someone, right? Or perhaps it's a place of non-judgment and radical acceptance. Or, you know, you can radically self-express yourself and be radically included just for being who you are, right? And I think that's that's been something that I've been reflecting on. And, you know, I, I, I do want to be careful because I don't want to, especially for our listeners, you know, I don't want to try and center this on Black Rock City and Burning Man and Burning Man culture because obviously this is a, a much larger issue that touches really all of humanity and kind of where, where we've ended ourselves in a, in a, in a post-colonial type world. But I'm using Burning Man as an example to invoke a possibility by seeing a world that is radically inclusive, allows for radical self-expression, again, has, in a sense, defunded police or, in a sense, abolished prisons to show what's possible, right? And again, there's a lot of work to do even within the Burning Man community in Black Rock City, but it's, it's a start. It's showing what's possible. And I, I just find that, that, that physical example of what's possible to be like a next step beyond just talking about it and these having these aspirational and important um, policy considerations being made. What, what are your yes. thoughts, Steve? Well, you know, I was actually just thinking, um, uh, just thinking, you know, when you talk about what's possible, um, you know, Burning Man is, is one of the questions that I've been thinking about is what is, what is possible um, with respect to life under COVID? And what's possible in terms of creating this environment, even recreating it just on the Burning Man level, right? So, so this year, this year we're not doing the in-person burn. Mm-hmm. So people who go aren't going to experience what it's actually like to live in that kind of environment for, you know, for even just a week or whatever. Yeah. However, there is going to be an online Burning Man which I think largely just came together as a volunteer effort. The Burning Man organization is not, I don't think they're paying for any part of it. They just said, hey, members of the community, do you want to put something together? And so uh, there are a number of different Burning Man experiences happening this week. Um, and they're all happening online. So um, do you know the URL for that, by the way? Yeah, so we wanted to touch a little bit on, you know, for those of you that have never, ever been or if somehow you've been, but you weren't aware that it was going online, uh, it basically, you just need two things to to get started. If you go to profiles, that's profile plural with an S at the end, profiles.burningman.org to set up your Burning Man profile if you don't have one already. And then you go to kindling.burningman.org, K-I-N-D-L-I-N-G.burningman.org. We'll put these in the notes. Um, that's basically how you get set up. And then they, yeah, they put a call out to the community to say, hey, if anyone wants to create something, um, let us know. And there's, I think, seven universes of the multiverse to join. And it's also very, very uh, serendipitous in a sense because they picked this theme 
way before they knew COVID was going to happen, the theme of multiverse. Um, and then sure enough, uh, the situation lended itself perfectly into that theme where there's now seven different online virtual worlds one can join. And uh, essentially, they're, they're all free. Um, I think one of them that I signed up for, Sparkleverse, uh, has a ticket donation, minimum $1, but that donation gets sent through to the Burning Man org because without ticket sales, um, a large chunk of their revenue has gone down. Uh, but it's just, yeah, it's just fascinating that there's, you know, seven different worlds that have popped up. It's basically free to enter. Steve, we were talking before we hit record about, you know, how the principles are playing out um, in the virtual world, like which ones are playing out, which ones aren't possible, which ones are sort of kind of. But one of the ones we were talking about was radical inclusion, right? Like on the one hand, you don't have to pay for a super expensive ticket. You don't have to figure out how you're going to get the materials and supplies to go out into the desert. And so in that sense, it's way more accessible than Burning Man perhaps has ever been. And on the other hand, some of the universes, um, you know, have a requirement of like using VR goggles, which is a pretty expensive piece of tech these days. So Yes. Well, there there are both there are both expensive and non-expensive versions of VR goggles, but like one of the universes require if you want the VR experience, uh, it requires Oculus Rift, I guess, which are four hundred dollars. I looked them up because I was like, ooh, I should buy these. I was like, haha, four hundred dollars. Uh right. Yeah. Um you know, because on as as you point out, like one of the things we were talking about is one way to um uh, one way to think about it is that all that money you would have spent going to the burn in person, instead you can just spend you know a, a small fraction of that on a pair of goggles, and voila, you've got the the whole goggles thing happening. But um, you know, one of the questions that we were discussing, and I think it's a really important question, actually, is. Can you get the Burning Man experience virtually? Right, we've talked about how an important part of it is you're you're riding down the street and someone says, "Hey, come here, have some brownies," or whatever. Yeah, and and right, I don't, I, I doubt that that per se is going to happen directly with the virtual Burning Man. Uh, but why don't we go through the ten principles and just talk a little bit about each one? Because I think that for me they are really at the heart of what makes Burning Man work. And, you know, I have no doubt that there's going to be some really cool art and there's going to be some good music, some probably some, you know, well-DJed music uh, in the various virtual spaces and probably ways to meet people. Like, I don't, I, I think that that's what a lot of it's oriented around. But is it going to be the same experience? Is it going to be a community that, that embodies the same principles as the Burning Man community? So let's start. What, what do you think about like gifting? Can we do yeah. gifting online? Yeah, I think it's going to be um, a form of it because gifting, you know, doesn't have to be a material object. Like even on the playa, gift a gift doesn't have to be a sticker or a pendant or a drink or food or whatever it might be. Um, it could be, you know, offering to to DJ right and like give people a good time or offering a consensual hug or like whatever it might be. It's the act of recognizing that you would like to make an offering to someone and then they can consent to accepting that offering. And as a result of that like kind of mini micro ritual, um, without money, without expectation of return, that is the gift in and of itself. And in a sense, like the volunteers that created these, 
universes for people to join, like that was on their their time. And so that's kind of their offering of a gift of a platform for the community to engage in a different way or to allow people who had never thought they could go to the playa to connect to the culture and meet people who have been doing this for a while. So I do think it's definitely possible. Um, I'm excited to kind of see the ways that uh, gifts will happen online. And I was, you know, talking to Steve a little bit again before we hit record that I have a friend who, you know, I was really excited to come to Burning Man one day. And I've been like kind of organizing them to, uh, you know, join online, maybe at the same time, we all jump online. And uh, he's been doing breathwork meditations uh, over the summer, um, especially because of the protests and how intense everything has been. Uh, and just like that, I saw him, you know, make a social media post that, hey, he's gifting, uh, you know, no donation required, um, a, a breathwork meditation for, for the Burning Man week. And I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful gift. That's a beautiful way to participate. Um, so yeah, that, those are my thoughts. What about you? So, you know, I think that, I think that there is still the opportunity to gift, but I think it's considerably less because a lot of the gifting can be physical things, you know, here, have a sandwich or, or, you know, let me give you a neck rub or something like that. And to gift something in the online world, you can do it as an experience. If you want to lead a class or have a conversation with someone that can be done in the online world. But I think it's a lot harder to do a lot of forms of gifting. Like one of the things that I was thinking is, is so one of the gifts that I give at Burning Man is that I go around and give hand massages. I give hand massages with, with acidic hand lotion to help counteract the playa dust. And then I give people little white cotton gloves that they can wear on their hand. And what makes that gift work is it's all about physical contact. I mean, you know, A, you only need the hand massage if your hands are all crapped up with playa dust. Uh, and B, like the gloves now give you a way to protect your hands. Like it's, it's something that in that context is really special. And I don't know any equivalent that I could do online. I was thinking about a week ago, I was thinking, once I found out that this multiverse thing was happening, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should do some sort of art installation in the multiverse, like create a, create a collage of something or you know, maybe a, a, some sort of exhibit that people could look at. But the problem is I don't have the technical know-how to do that, uh, nor do I have the amount of time that it would take me to learn the technical know-how. And, and you know, I would have to learn it. I would then have to do the 3D modeling and all this stuff and just a whole bunch of stuff that honestly is not, you know, like, like my, my, my vision of the gift and of the art that I could contribute to the community is different is is requires and uses a different set of skills yeah than than I would actually need to make it work yeah and well, I'm not at a place where I can just spend the time you know to to acquire that entire skill set I guess yeah and I think you make a really great point like uh, and perhaps it's the 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 most salient one or the most obvious one in many senses of of course a virtual gift is going to be different than a physical gift and I think that also is important to stress how important physical, you know, you know, I, at the beginning of the, the quarantine or the lockdown, you know, people saying, oh, it shouldn't be social distancing, it should be physical distancing. But still how important that, um, that physical closeness is to relating as, as humans and being kind of present in the same space. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the questions in uh, higher education or education in general about, oh, can just education move all online and just everything virtual and can work move all virtual? Um, you know, I think obviously 
wearing a VR headset in your office by yourself or whatever is not the same as being in person. But I just think to your point of the types of gifts, like a whole, a whole aspect of humanity is missing when you don't have that in-person togetherness. And, and, you know, and I'll be, I'll be honest. This is one of the things that really, really bothers me about, about the Silicon Valley and the high tech world is that, is that everyone goes, Oh, look, we can just transmit the information to the place you know, like this is literally the collection of people who 20 years ago were made fun of because they had absolutely no concept of how human beings work. And what they have done is created a social infrastructure that continues to have absolutely no concept of how human beings work, right? Like, <laughs> like it, it, it boggles my mind, you know, oh, of course, of course, learning online is the equivalent to going to school. I'm like, really? Not my school's. You know, for me, a really important part of the learning experience is learning with other people. It's having study groups. It's talking about things. It's the socializing. It's learning not just not just the material from science class, but it's learning how to navigate my way through a high school that had social situations and so on and so forth. And and the notion that you can just have people live their lives alone in their room, staring at a screen, and that somehow this is the equivalent of in-person interaction. Yeah. Sure. You know, yes, you can absolutely have a YouTube video that gives the same information that a teacher is going to give or a professor is going to give in a lecture. That doesn't mean it's the same experience, nor does it mean that both of those are equally valuable. And by the way, one of the things I noticed as an undergrad, and I still notice it today, is if somebody who understands a concept reads me a portion of a textbook that discusses that concept, I will understand it better than if I read the textbook myself. There is something being communicated in the word choice, The word, well, not the word choice because they're just reading out of a book, but there is something being communicated in their emphasis and their facial expression and their voice tone that I can't quantify. But I noticed this again, first as an undergrad, and I've, you know, I continue to notice it for my business partners. I have a business partner who was explaining something to me the other day, and when he explained it, he explained it in pretty much the same words I had been reading about it. But when I had a human being who understood it, I am sure there were micro expressions, all kinds of stuff that happened that was related to the human context that actually made a difference. It changed the way the information went in. And I think one of the biggest disservices that we are doing right now is pretending, pretending that all we have to do is take care of information transmission and that will somehow be able to replace genuine live in-person interaction. And by the way, there's already research showing that there's a lot of, of trust formation, and other bonding things that happen face to face that do not happen over Zoom and do not happen virtually. So, yeah. I you know to to the extent that anyone needs to be convinced, there is research out there that is more and more pointing to the notion that the two are different. Yeah, and there's been the concepts of uh, Zoom fatigue, right? Like being on on your screen all day, trying to have these meetings. And there's a media theorist and author Douglas Rushkoff who has a new project called Team Human that kind of talks about this that technology is taking us away from the the human aspect and how much richer the informational and contextual experiences, just talking face to face versus just, you know, seeing someone's face on a screen and to, to leave it here. And then we can move on to some of the other principles to your point about, yeah, replacing like the human to human contact. The thing that sent chill down, chills down my spine was on the New York times, there's an advertisement, um, in the app and, uh, it was a VR headset and it was like, is VR the answer for senior loneliness? as if to suggest people should be investing in giving uh, isolated seniors VR headsets so that they can have some semblance of connection with their family or neighbors. Like, I get that it could be a stopgap measure, but it sent chills down my spine to think of, oh yeah, the solution is just 
give them a VR headset and then we'll have community and togetherness. Yeah, I well, you know, one of the things that I just find horrifying actually about COVID is the degree to which people out there are like, oh, you know, old people don't matter, let them die. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like I'm like actually, they're the people that built the internet for you and the video games. You know, and yes, there were there are plenty of stuff that that you know previous generations did wrong, but basically you're warm, dry, full and healthy because of them. But even for, you know, forget the the tit for tat transactional. Oh well, they haven't done anything for me. Who cares? Like, how about just like basic morality? <laughs> when did we just decide? Oh, it's okay for old people to die. I mean, if if the logic is, oh, we can just section we can just section out a piece of people and just not worry whether or not they die. Well, you know what? Then stop complaining. You know about your student debt. Stop complaining about about the fact that you've been left a shitty environment and that everything's polluted and the global warming is going to kill the earth. Because you know what? You just said it's acceptable to just go ahead and condemn an entire generation to death for one's own convenience. Well, that's exactly what your grandparents did and your parents. So enjoy it. Because, you know, if if that is the if that is the precedent you want to set, I think it's a pretty horrible precedent. The precedent that I prefer to set is one that says, as a human being, part of what I bring to the table is the ability to care for people of all ages, to care for people who aren't like me, to care for human beings as a race, and to try to help them all be warm, dry, and full, and safe. And in my case, I also care about environmental sustainability, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, how did we get on that? Boy, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, I, was, that was talking something about something you said triggered me. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's a it's a wild time, and um, yeah, it was it was on the topic of the principle of gifting. But we were we were doing the perhaps the the white man intellectualizing thing, and like oh, and another thing in the debate here, and um, but yeah, let's let's get back to the uh, we talked about radical inclusion a little bit with um, you know VR goggles, but then also it's free. So let's let's what's another principle you want to go over? Uh, you know what? How about um, decommodification? Yeah, because that's one of my favorite parts of Burning Man is that there's no, there aren't brand names and there isn't commerce, and it's a it's a really different way of relating with each other. And because <laughs> there's always an and, <laughs> and uh, one of the multiverse. So I think several of the multiverses are being done on private platforms that that I think are going to be decommodified. But what I, what I find really interesting is at least one of the multiverses is going to take place in Second Life. And Second Life, for those people who don't know, it is a virtual world. It's a, it's a gigantic virtual world that was first created about, what, at least 10 years ago? Yeah, definitely like early 2000s. Um, yeah, yeah, early mid-2000s. And, and uh, what's interesting about Second Life is is at this point, I don't know, I don't know how it was originally, but at this point, like every 10 feet in it, there's a thing that says, you know, click here to buy this thing, or rent the land here, or gee, you want to have an outfit that expresses who you are? Great. All you need to do is pay for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's like walking through a through Times Square in terms of billboards. And so I'm really curious to know. Are they going to carve out a portion of Second Life and make it possible for us to go visit that without having to deal with all of the commodification happening left and right? Yeah, no, I think that'll be a really interesting question. And um, yeah, from some of the trailers I've seen from the other universes, like they've built you know 3D models of like RVs and um, moving trucks, which are definitely present on the playa. But I oh, think God, yeah. it, it looks like the models have 
the 3D models have been stripped of like any branding and things like that. So that was really refreshing to see. Um, yeah. Yay. Okay. So, so we're going to, we're going to be able to do, I think for the most part, we'll be able to do decommodification, uh, civic responsibility that I'm really not sure how that, how that would, pl- how that would play out online. I mean, civic responsibility basically means, you know, we all pitch in to make the event happen. And I think the, the part of that that I can relate to online is showing up and being friendly with people and, yeah. you know, or not as the case may be, uh, but not, not obnoxious, but just, you know, whatever, um, uh, uh, you know, if I could make my avatar do acrobatics in second life, then I would provide entertainment for people, but can't do that. Um, but I think that civic responsibility, you know, at least, at least to some degree is, is related in, in the online world is related to participation since that's really the main form of interaction that we're looking at anyway. Yeah. No, I would agree. Yeah, the only thoughts that came up for civic responsibility is just kind of that, like, looking out for one another. And, you know, we we talk about, um, or we've yet to talk about for this particular segment, but we've talked about the concept or principle of radical self-reliance. So there's one aspect of, yeah, like, be be responsible for yourself. But then the civic responsibility brings in the, but we're also a community and there's other humans, so we can't just be uh, individualistic to a, to a T or to an eye, perhaps. Um, and so kind of just looking out for perhaps online bullying or trolls, you know, people dropping in who've maybe heard of Burning Man, have zero connection to the culture, um, and just want to mess with people. Uh, so, you know, look, looking out for each other while you're out there and um, doing doing what you can to uh, to have a, a strong, positive community. Well, you know, it's interesting, because one of the things that, that I'm, I'm thinking is I really do so enjoy going around giving the hand massages. It's mm-hmm. just a great way to meet people. And I'm thinking I need to come up with some equivalent of that that I can come up with like in the next day. Like I wonder if if I'll be able to do to do avatars that um, uh, like 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 design my own avatar. You can't really do that in Second Life, as far as I can tell, at least not without paying money. But I may go ahead and pay the money precisely so that I can can do something like customize the avatar to look like a burner. Uh, you know, and or to have a little sign that says free hand massages, even though I don't know how to hand massages. <laughs> but you know. <laughs> well, there might be there might be some people that, you know, are, um, you know, with other people in the room. And so you could kind of guide them to say, hey, here's an idea. Instead of just being fully in the virtual environment, if you're like, you know, connecting to the, the I don't know, video chat at the same time or whatever, um, and you're in the same room together, uh, you know, I'm thinking of like a couple or someone ex- or friends exploring together saying, Hey, like unplug for a bit and I'm going to coach you on how to give a great hand massage. Yep. Yep. Actually, you know, that's true because doing there, there are some things that could be done, not as a, uh, not as a, as a, necessarily a one-on-one thing, but like, right, like, like you could just say, you could just parcel off a little section of the area and say, look, I'll, you know, let me give you a demonstration. You know, mm-hmm. let you, you grab the person, grab the person who actually is with you in real life if you have one. If you don't, you know, grab a, I don't know, grab one of those foam rubber stress balls. And <laughs> let me de- <laughs> let me describe how on your foam rubber stress ball yeah. you can simulate a hand massage. Yeah. Trust me on this one. Um, <laughs> let's continue because I'm noticing we're actually, boy, I thought we were going to go for like ten minutes, and, and we're 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 pretty far into it. Um, uh, let's see. So uh, leave no trace. For me, that's an easy one. I'm. It's online. 
it's I'm it's not going to use any any particular more resources or require any cleanup. Um, yeah, uh, and, you know, know, any more than my daily job does. Yeah, and the only thing that that's bringing to mind is the um, the temple is actually a huge part of the Burning Man experience, and they burn the man on a Saturday, and then they burn the temple the day after. So that's kind of the the full emotional closure of the event. And I know that for this year's temple. Uh, I think it's too late to submit, but they were asking people to submit, you know, affirmations or code or text, whatever documents that they would kind of put into a hard drive. Um, and then I believe they are going to, um, on the time of the temple burn, that when the temple burn would have happened, they're going to destroy the uh, hard drive um, and in a sense, leave no trace of uh, the files that were, you know, contributed to that. And ideally also, um, sustainably uh, recycle or dispose of the hard drive as well. Oh man, you know what? That's such a great idea. Yeah, um, uh, it still gives you a sense of like closure and things. Uh, also, they're doing the temple burn as a whole separate universe, so I'm really curious to see what they do uh, for that because they, you know, like I could imagine them scanning things in, even and, you know. So you send them something and exactly. they scan it in and they put it into the virtual world. I was like, I because I've I've only once t- t- taken something to the temple and. You know, it was, uh, I, I, well, I would love to say that, that it completely helped me reach closure on something. It didn't, but it certainly was, you know, it was, a, it was part of the path to, to healing and feeling okay about, about a, a situation and a loss that I, that I uh, uh, suffered. And, you know, there's something about just publicly sharing your grief that's, uh, that's you know, it's cathartic. Definitely. It, it, uh, there was a science fiction writer named Spider Robinson. I forgot even the name of the books that he wrote, but I remember he oh, and Cal Callahan's Cross Time Saloon. <laughs> and one of the one of the things, what, the little slogans that one of the characters says is, you know, shared pain is lessened, shared happiness is increased, and shared pain is lessened. Mm. Um, participation. Yeah, I think this is definitely, you know, kind of along the gifting side, uh, people participating, bringing events, bringing virtual art, creating the platform. I've been trying to think, you know, I thought I wasn't going to be able to participate because I didn't contribute any, you know, 3D art. I don't know how to do that as well. Um, But I was encouraged to be like, oh, it's super simple to just set up a link to a separate Zoom or a a Twitch stream. Um, And so for myself, I'm trying to think of a way to just, uh, you know, bring like a, a Q&A session for my my fun artistic project of the best party um, to talk about politics. The best party is the political party that puts on political parties. Oh my God, that sounds so like so much fun and like the last <laughs> thing in the world I want to talk about it right then. So I'll uh, I'll leave that one to you. Um, I'm, I I but but I do like the idea actually of setting something up. So I okay. Um, here is a pledge. Let's both figure out how to do this. And figure out how to advertise it in the world, like like in other words, if we create this thing, how are we going to let it be known that this is a thing? How are we going to offer it to people? Uh, so, for instance, in in Second Life, I just discovered this because I just started playing with it this morning. There's a place in your profile where you can just put text, and other people can see it, and mm. you can elect to share that text with people. So, you could put the offer in the text. You know, you could say you could say, "Hey, I'm holding a party tonight. Click here if you want information, or ask me." Actually, I would say, "Ask me about it." Or something. Yeah, and that's uh, similar to being on Playa with you know walking down any of the streets, and uh, you know participation doesn't have to be big and grand. It could be as simple as you know offer to have a conversation or offer to join an open mic or you know some something very basic. And so in that sense, I think that's a good 
recreation of the experiences, just little ways to say, hey, this is what I'm bringing and um, you know, welcome you to participate or, or join in. Exactly. And lastly, but not least, is immediacy, which on the playa is basically, you know, be in the present and your burn is whatever's happening to you right now. It's weird, the idea that we're going to be having an online burn that like, <laughs> like being immediately present to your actual surroundings would take you out of the online burn. Being immediately present to the online burn will be different. And, you know, I know this is going to be a weird leap, but I think it's going to depend a lot on the actual user interface. To what degree can I immerse myself in what's going on and forget that I'm doing this all mediated by a computer? And I have no idea. It's going to depend, I think, on the actual experience. I'll, I'll let you know when I get there. Yeah, no, that's that's a good thought. And also the idea of there's seven multiverses. So there might be some FOMO around like, oh, did I pick the right multiverse to go into? Or am I immediately present here versus thinking about the thing that I'm missing? which happens on the playa as well, right? Like you hear about something happening at a camp and you have to make a choice. It's kind of like a, an opportunity cost of um, the infinite decisions you have while you're there. And it's about dropping into the one that you are present in. And you know what? There might even be all these technical issues and you know you might not be able to access the world. And that's kind of a version of like, off your burn in a sense. Um, and so I think it's just interesting about, you know, thinking around... Uh, how can you be truly present to the experience? And even if you aren't able to access it, your Wi-Fi goes down, the power, whatever it might be, um, can you still live that immediacy and figure out a way to uh, you know, connect to the, the overall culture or, or activity? And look on the bright side. If we have a hurricane in the middle of the burn, which never actually happens on the playa, you, you know, you, anyone who's, who's in Burning Man and they suddenly get hit by, hit by a hurricane, they'll be able to go, wow, this is my chance to, to practice immediacy. <laughs> rather than wishing that I weren't in the middle of a hurricane, I will be present to it and respond in the moment. Um, and it'll be a great spiritual growing experience. So thank you very much, uh, Evan. I, I, I'm noticing we've, we've just gone for a long... Uh, yes, it was a good, for, it was a good we, long overdue catch-up. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much. And hey, uh, anyone listening to this, the Burning Man is going to be going from the the uh, the multi the Burning Man multiverse is going to be going from do you know the dates? Uh, Sunday, Sunday, the, Sunday tomorrow through Labor Day weekend. So we'll see you on the virtual world. All right. See you on the virtual world. Thanks a lot. This has been Steve Robbins and Evan Shulman with Burning, Burning Man, Man according, according to, to us. us. <laughs> Take care. See you. See you in the dust. <laughs>